0: This is Andrew, and this is Keen On, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is Monday, August 7th, 2023. Uh, not for the first or the last time, Donald Trump is... Dominating the headlines, Uh, the excellent uh, Isaac Saul's excellent Tangle newsletter talks about him getting indicted again and again and again, and the Washington Post leads about it as the uh, Wall Street Journal about what was Donald Trump thinking, uh, asking about his psychology. Uh, Meanwhile, Politico reports that um, his many legal troubles are all starting to Um, what the Politico calls intersect. I'm not quite sure where the story is going. One man who's followed this with a great deal of care is an old friend and a a very frequent guest on Keenon, Pete Weiner, Peter Weiner. He writes uh, a column, a regular column for The Atlantic as well as for The New York Times. His latest Atlantic piece was the indictment of Donald Trump and his enablers. Pete is joining us. As always, from his home near Washington D.C., Pete. Anything new to report here? Anything that's taken you by surprise over the last couple of weeks? Not really.
1: Uh, first, great to be on with you, Andrew. You're you're a great conversation partner, so it's it's always a delight. No, I, this drama is playing out more or less as i as I would have uh, would have anticipated. Um, even going back, I would say years. Obviously, I didn't know the particulars. what kind of trouble donald trump would be in but in terms of his own transgressive personalities the maliciousness uh, of 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 his actions um, and the response of the republican party um, this this is unfortunately not a uh, not a surprise he has an iron grip uh, on the gop and yeah, the question has always been over the last six, seven, eight years: is is there any line that he could cross, where um, where his supporters, the Republican Party, the MAGA base, would say that's enough? And the answer so far is um, is no.
0: Yeah, and that's what you focus on increasingly in your work. You talk about it as a Faustian bargain. You have a particular interest, the kind of moral investment in this. You're a, a long-term Republican, at least in terms of your career. I'm not sure if you're still in the party. I think you you left it. You worked um, in the Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush uh, administrations. What do you make? Uh, I, I mean, so much ink has been spilled, Pete, on why the Republican Party, why so many seniors, seemingly respectable people, um, are continuing to support him. What What's your explanation? Is it a Faustian pact, a pact with the devil? I
1: think so. For a lot of people, it, it, it is. I think you have to disaggregate that, that question. It's, it's a deep question and a complicated one. I would say for, for the Republicans who know better, often Republicans who are lawmakers and so-called establishment Republicans um, who do know better, um it is a Faustian bargain. They they know what they're doing uh on some level is wrong and dishonorable. Um and they basically understand who Donald Trump is. Um and I think who he is is is, is a sociopath with sociopathic tendencies. Um but I think that they have come up with a whole series of rationalizations and justifications to explain their support, ongoing support for him. I think the human mind has a tremendous capacity, this is true of all of us, uh, to justify and rationalize um, our actions, to try and mitigate cognitive dissonance. That is the feeling that what we're doing is at odds with who we think we are. And if you think you're a decent moral person who got involved in politics to try and advance justice, and you found yourself supporting a person like Donald Trump, it's got to create huge cognitive dissonance and tremendous internal tension. And a lot of these Republicans have have uh, rationalized their way out of it. Then there's the base of the party, uh, the MAGA, so-called MAGA base um, there. I think there's a lot of true believers. These are people who, who are roiling with resentments and grievances, who see in Donald Trump uh, a, a, an avenger for them and for their cause, a fighter. Fearless, uh, who have convinced themselves, um, in part through Donald Trump himself, that he's a martyr, that he's the top subject of of, of a relentless attack by a deep state conspiracy. That the, that base is enormous and growing in the Republican Party, and the people who have known better, the lawmakers, leaders, including ethicists and moralists and others. Who should have spoken out didn't and i think part of the reason that they didn't is because uh they knew where the energy of the party was and they were and they knew who who was in power it was donald trump for four years as president uh so it's a it's a complicated story but it's a very um, dark and and um and discouraging quite, quite honestly especially as, as someone as you said who's who in my case was was part of the republican party and served in three republican administrations
0: yeah, last week Pete, we did a show with Luke uh, Nicta, who has a book about 1968, the year uh, that broke American politics, and we talked about whether 2024 could be like 68, and he thinks it could be. I'm, uh, we've had we've, we've done a number of shows on on Nixon, of course, who was central in 1968. One with Kevin Boyle, um, why America remains haunted by Nixon and his own particular paranoia. I'm actually rereading. uh, Nick Rick Pearlstein has been on the show. Here's Nixon Land. Ronald Reagan, your old boss, of course, was also central in 1968. Back then he was the governor of California. I know this is a question I've asked you before. I've always felt you've slightly dodged it, but there are people and I think Boyle might be included, perhaps even Pearlstein who wouldn't necessarily see a break between the politics. The paranoia of Nixon and, and and Reagan in in 1968, and the paranoia of um, MAGA and Trump in in 2024, 2023. Would you unambiguous unambiguously reject that? Has there been a a sharp break in the Republican Party between the party of Reagan and 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 and, and Nixon and the party of Donald Trump?
1: Yeah, I, I hope I haven't dodged it in the past. I think the, the uh, um, I think the the question is a good one. It's a fair one for sure to answer. I think it's 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 complicated. It's nuanced. It it, it probably needs some some qualifiers. In some ways, I think it's it is a dramatic break uh, from from uh, from Reagan in certain respects. Some of them are policy uh, oriented. I mean, if you're talking about free trade, or the attitude toward immigrants, including illegal immigrants. Uh, or uh, entitlement reform, um, or America's role in the world, or the disposition and temperament of, of Reagan, who was, if anything, over-optimistic and hopeful, America's a sign- shining city on a hill. And you compare that to the Trump rhetoric of carnage, protectionist, isolationist, uh, nativist. Um, I mean, if you, if you wanted to, to identify the intellectual um, I guess predecessor for for Trumpism it would be Pat Buchanan uh, in 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 the '90s. In the '80s, Buchanan worked for Reagan, uh, but he had these what they refer to as paleo paleo tendencies, and they really came out and emerged after the Cold War um, ended. So, in some in some respects, certainly intellectually, to the degree that you could describe Trump intellectually but
0: in terms of the, the but, but, uh, coming back to buchanan buchanan of course began his political career long political career working for richard nixon, nixon who he right. he he um he called the boss um exactly and and that to some extent is 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 a, is a good illustration
1: of what i think what i think the answer is because i think it's complicated as i said buchanan with reagan and it was true with nixon i mean he was part of the establishment republican i think the argument or the the reality is that the cold war is what fused it was referred to as fusionism uh, the conservative movement these different parts coming together and the cold war was probably central to that and it kept people like buchanan and neoconservatives more or less in the same in the same camp once the cold war was over some of these uh, divisions and differences uh, broke out into, in, in, into, into the open. But in some respects, back to your original question, I mean, Donald Trump is profoundly different than than, uh, than Ronald Reagan, and Ronald Reagan was a person of great personal grace, very rarely, if ever, went after opponents uh, personally, nothing like, like uh, Trump has ever done. Of course, nobody's ever done it like Trump has on the presidential level, and very few below, below that level. Um, On the other hand, there there's undoubtedly there have been dark impulses um, and and elements in the American right populism that have existed for decades and decades and decades. Um, They never really fully disappeared. Um, And uh, what I would say happened is that you had leaders, whether they were uh, Mitt Romney or John McCain or George W. Bush or Reagan uh, that kept those dark tendencies on the fringes. I mean, they spoke up and repudiated figures at, 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 at key moments. Are there moments, particular moments that one could identify, uh, during the Reagan years or during the Nixon years, uh, especially, um, where you could say there is, you can connect dots from then to, to, uh, to Trump. I think so. I think so. The, you know, Lee Atwater gave an interview, which was, I think it was released or at least publicized in a big way in the 90s, but it was an, actually an interview that he gave in 1981, in which he referred to the so-called Southern strategy of the late 60s. And the Southern strategy used words like states' rights and law and order. And liberals for a long time said that, that uh, the Southern strategy was really coded racism to try and get get racist elements to support the Republican Party and a lot of Republicans said no that's just unfair these these are legitimate policy disputes. Atwater came out and basically said that you couldn't use the n-word by the late 1960s and so they used coded language like states rights and and other things to appeal to 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 those awful elements within American politics. That's when you had this enormous shift from the South, which had been largely Democratic up until the Civil Rights Movement, and they began to go, go toward the Republican Party. So Atwater, who was a key Republican strategist, worked for Reagan, worked for George H. W. Bush. Uh, you know, basically admitted that the Southern Strategy of the late '60s was driven, in, at least in large part, by by racist elements. And I think that's a persuasive point if you were on the Pearlstein side of um, of uh, of things. So um, it's It's complicated, I would say. Uh, You need to take particular facts and circumstances. But I'd say if you did it net-net, that that Trump is a break from Republican predecessors and from any presidential predecessor, because, as I said, I think he's a sociopath, and it's just gone to places that no other Republican and no other president has gone or would go.
0: Perhaps going back to 68, he's got more in common with george wallace absolutely Uh, wallace is
1: the other figure that i that i look to as uh i mean if you go back and study george wallace watch the tapes of him follow the arc of his career um and and even and maybe especially the rhetorical approach that wallace took uh in terms of uh, he was wallace was a kind of evil genius at stoking the populist sentiments and and trump has really learned from that uh, or at least echoed it i don't know how much he, he studied wallace and people forget george wallace won five states in the 68 presidential election he ran as an independent and won five deep sa- states in the deep south
0: you've described um trump as a as a grotesque man uh, presiding over a, a grotesque uh party what is the most grotesque thing about trump it seems to me as if i won't say he's a man of the right or the left but he's certainly a he's borrowed i don't know leninist theories to describe the american state he suggests that it's controlled by uh i don't know an intellectual legal establishment is he really a, a leninist dressed up in conservative or uh expensive clothing is is there something ominously familiar about his critique of the american state
1: yeah it's an interesting question i'm not sure if i'd say he's leninist i mean in some ways he's generous um because i don't think he can be understood as other malicious political figures have been in the past through primarily a political lens um because I don't think politics interests him that much. And I don't think ideas interest him that much. They interest him hardly at all. Whereas the revolutionaries in the past were often consumed by, by political ideas and political revolution. Trump is, is, is rare and in some respects I would say unique because I, I think the central thing to understand about him are not political ideas but his disordered personality. I just think he's a sick and broken human being. And we're seeing those pathologies, they've played out his entire life. And in the past, they were tolerable because it was confined to his life, difficult for the people around him, his family, but but certainly limited. But once he got on the political stage, certainly when he won, won the Republican nomination in 2016, and when he became president, you know, his problems became became ours. If you ask me what makes him most grotesque, I, I think it would... It's, it's hard to sort through it, because in some respects, I would say it's just his personal cruelty, uh, the way he seems to delight in the pain of others and inflicting uh, pain. Uh, just on a personal level, I find that really a awful and nauseating um, characteristic. On the other hand, maybe the most damaging and dangerous thing about him would be the combination of the conspiracy theories and lies and lawlessness Um, and the the, the, the conspiracy theories. I mean, he's 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 in his own way a superb propagandist and he has gotten an entire political party, at least the second most important political party in the world to embrace not just lies, but massive lies and fundamental lies and obviously disprovable lies. And that has huge, huge radiating effects. And then on top of that, you know, he's, he's both a nihilist and what I've referred to as an institutional arsonist. He is determined to burn down institutions. That's why I would never call him a conservative. I mean, sometimes he's incidentally conservative on some of the policies or appointments that he makes. But anybody, in my estimation, that understands conservatism would understand, A, the, the need to conserve the ports of tradition. But also revere institutions and want to treat them carefully. And Trump has no interest in that. He just wants to, to, you know, spray them with kerosene and light matches. And he's done a, done a pretty pretty good job of 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 doing it. So his problems are manifold and manifest. And at any given moment in time, one is probably worse than the other, uh, depending on the the, the particular damage that he's that he's he's inflicting.
0: you've been on the show a lot uh pete and it sort of seems to reflect your own mood about um trump you were back i think you were first on in 2020 talking about trump reminding everyone that you that your conservatism was antithetical to him Um, and you came back on 2022 talking about how a post-trump america remains very sick the third time you're on you were cautiously a little bit more optimistic, the end of the Trump era, what might replace it. And then more recently, again, you're a little ambivalent. My sense is that you've become more um, more pessimistic, certainly in your last Atlantic piece, in your indictment. You talk about Trump burning down the institutions. You talk about him breaking the nation. I'm quoting you, you conclude in the piece, Donald Trump has already deeply wounded our nation. He's perfectly willing to break it. It's up to us to keep him from succeeding. How pessimistic are you about all this?
1: Well, I'm pretty pessimistic. I'm deeply pessimistic about the Republican Party. Um, and then there's the question of the country. So let me let me let me divide those those two. Um, I think you're right. I mean, it's interesting. If you if you followed my writings on Trump, first time I wrote about him. In this current iteration uh was july of 2015 when i wrote a piece for the new york times called i think it was president donald trump question mark just saying no this was three weeks after he had announced that he was getting into the race uh, a lot of people weren't taking him seriously they thought he was a flash in the pan i was worried about him I, I described why i thought he was more of a force than a lot of people thought and what it was about him that was dangerous and then, really, throughout the 2016 campaign, I did the warnings and kind of tried to bang the pots and pans, and it had virtually no effect, of course. Um, and then during his presidency, um, you know, I was not surprised by where the Republican Party ended up. Was urging them not to break with him, to stand up to him, just to say no to him. Certain key moments, it, it didn't happen. Um, And you could just see unfolding this this fusion that happened between the party and and Trump. You know, there were two moments of, I I guess, some degree of of cautious optimism among a lot of people, um, including me. But it was qualified. One was when he lost and left the presidency. And after, you know, January 6th, whether the party would break with him um, because he lost, no longer had power. So and. What he did on January 6 was was such an abomination. One would have hoped that the party would break, but it became clear very, very early on. That Kevin McCarthy went hat in hand. About Ten days after after January 6, or two weeks, uh, he went down to Mar-a-Lago. McCarthy did. The Republican Party was once again aligned. Once again, aligning. And then in 2022, Republicans did poorly. And if you will look at the polls, uh, watch track where trump was versus desantis was shortly after november of 2022 when a lot of republicans felt like look this guy is an albatross around our neck he's not going to win in 2024 if he's a nominee a lot of good republicans are going to go down with him and that was the period in which desantis if you track the polls was closest to him but it was still about a 15 point gap it was still an enormous gap but that's all faded Trump is right now probably plus forty on national national polls. So if you were to say right now, the Republican Party, there's no evidence at all that it uh that it has broken with them or it's inclined to break with him. If anything is hold on the party, as I said earlier, is stronger, not weaker. It is as if each new indictment uh the, the, the base of the party doubles or triples down on its on its support of him, its enthusiasm. So in terms of the Republican Party, uh, you know, I think it, it 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 is an it is, as I said, a grotesque party at this at this at this point. And as someone who was a Republican,
0: but then uh, are you suggesting that forty percent of Americans are grotesque? I'm
1: what I'm suggesting is that whatever percentage of people support Donald Trump, I mean, that has to be unpacked too, and I'll get to that in a second. Are supporting a grotesque Figure and that the Republican Party itself, as a party institutionally, is that um, because it continues to to uh, to rally around him and side with him uh, despite these un- extraordinary transgressions. Now, when you go into individuals in, in terms of, of of what they believe and whether each individual who supports Trump is 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 grotesque, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I think you, you have to take it, again, facts and circumstances in individual cases. Um, some people, and I've had correspondence with with a number of these people, they're not thrilled about Trump, but they believe that the alternative, uh, uh, Democrats, liberals, progressives, pose such a threat to the country that it's graver even than, than Trump's.
0: Do you agree with that? I mean, uh, it's, it's hard for me, at least, to see Joe Biden is a threat to anything except perhaps himself falling over and bumping his head.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I, I wrote a piece in The New York Times on why I thought conservatives should vote for Biden. A mutual friend of ours, someone you've had on the on the broadcast several times, Jonathan Rausch, and I wrote a piece. Uh, this would have been 2021,
0: I think. Maybe was Yeah, about years. why we should fear. The right rather than left. I actually yeah. bumped into but, John um, at the Braver Angels convention uh, a couple of. Months yeah, ago. that's
1: I, I I think you mentioned that and which sounded like it was a terrific, terrific convention. Anyway, in any event, John and I, you know, we're very tough on the progressive left. I mean, we named what what troubled us about it and, and its radicalization. So this was not an effort to say the left is no threat and the right is 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 the total threat. It was our effort, as, with as much intellectual honesty as, as we could summon, and obviously we're, we're both imperfect, to say, yeah, there are real dangers from the left. We are, neither of us is a person of the left, and we described them. But we said in this current moment uh, that the right was a more immediate and more fundamental threat to America than, than the left uh, was. I still, I still hold that view uh, except, and I think I'm speaking for John as as well, uh, our concerns are greater, not less, uh, in terms of, of the threat posed, posed by the right. Just sorry to be long-winded, but just to close, close that question you had asked, in terms of the country itself, you know, how pessimistic am I? I'm concerned. Um, I was thankful for the fact that, in my estimation, the country rallied enough of the so-called exhausted majority, um, people who saw in Donald Trump a grave threat Donald, uh, Joe Biden got I think 15 million more votes than Hillary Clinton and he w- Trump was defeated and he was defeated fairly soundly uh, and that was a good sign um, and so you know the country is is, is fighting back um, this is a great country and there's a lot uh, to, to 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 defend and a lot. Uh, to to fight for, and people are not laying down, um, and they're not giving up, and they're not walking away, and, and I appreciate that, and I think that's that's a good good sign, but it's a toss up, and you know Donald Trump uh, probably is going to be the Republican nominee, and if he is, this could be a close election. Um, if the Repub- if the American people repudiate Trump again, uh, then I'm going to be more hopeful about the country. If Trump somehow were to win um then i think we're in a place that's very very grave um in 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 the deepest and most fundamental ways
0: you wrote a couple of months ago in the atlantic um that um maga is ripping itself apart the extreme the extremism aggression and lack of restraint in maga world are spreading how ubiquitous is maga broadly in cultural terms within the party within families, within our broader culture? It's pretty broad. It's pretty broad. I've, I've heard from a lot of
1: people. You, I'm guessing you have two families who really are divided uh, by politics in a way that's unprecedented. Um, and in terms of the right-wing media ecosystem, MAG is absolutely dominant. Uh, I mean, you could go from Newsmax to Fox uh, to... Um, the Federalist, American greatness, these different websites, um, to talk radio, uh, uh, which which is still influential, and basically they're wholly owned subsidiaries of, MAGA World and, and Trump. I mean, there's a little variation in there, and it's it's well known that Rupert Murdoch wanted to break with Trump, and Fox was featuring Ron DeSantis. Um, and the New York Post, which is which is owned by Murdoch, was doing the same thing. But that was several months ago. And as as DeSantis has seemingly flamed out, at least lost a lot of altitude, and as Trump's grip has returned uh, or, or, or strengthened in, on the Republican Party, you can see these media outlets, Fox and the New York Post, come back to Trump. And I'm telling you, if Trump is the nominee, the party, the media outlets, they're all going to get back in line in lockstep. Um, they're not going to break with him if, if he's the nominee.
0: You mentioned DeSantis a couple of times. He came out today uh, saying, of course, he lost about Trump's 2020 election. W- what do you make of DeSantis? I mean, is he just a political op- opportunist? Is there something more palatable as someone whose heart or a little bit of your heart's still in the Reagan Bush Republican Party is he a credible Republican or is he just a, a a cheap knockoff of of MAGA?
1: I'd say more the more the latter than the former. I'm I am not a Ron DeSantis fan. I, I should say that if the choice, if I had to, to choose between Trump and DeSantis, I i'd take DeSantis over Trump as a lesser of of. Uh, of, of two very bad choices, because I don't think that, that DeSantis has the uh, psychological pathologies that Trump does. Having said that, I said several things about DeSantis. One is I, uh, Andrew, I thought from the beginning uh, when I people would ask me about about him that he was overvalued. Uh, I just thought he was at best an average political talent. I had the feeling early on as a lot of Republicans, including National Review crowd and others who wanted to get rid of Trump, rallied around DeSantis as an idea, not as a person. It was almost as if they were they were reading, you know, from a sheet of paper or checking policy boxes. Uh, and I just had the feeling that they hadn't really seen him, including the debate he did with with Charlie Chris when he when he was running from for reelection. So I wasn't impressed with him politically. I didn't think he was very talented. I didn't think he was very likable. I didn't think he was very good on his on his feet. Um, and that matters. I mean, just raw political talent matters. You've got to in the end, you, you vote for a person, not 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 a not a platform. Uh, so that's one. The second thing is, you know, his obsession with going woke is uh, is weird at times um and yeah he's just a knockoff of trump he's trying he was clearly trying to outflank trump on the cultural right getting into these war with 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 disney and uh you know it's just endless series of theatrical politics trying to signal to to the MAGA world that 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 he was uh, going to be a relentless uh slayer of 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 wokeness Uh, but that hasn't worked and weirdly or not weird, maybe not weirdly i don't know but uh, New York Times poll uh, found that for people who cared about what woke, woke, so-called woke uh, concern, who had, had woke concerns, Trump was beating DeSantis by something like 15, 15, 15 points. Now, complicating Desantis's life is his major fundraisers are unhappy with how hard he's tacked to the right on social, cultural issues and are basically withholding money now from him. And, uh, you know, this latest thing that he did where he announced that, that Trump had lost the election, I mean, I think that that leaves him in the worst of of, of both worlds. It's going to piss off MAGA world and view him as an enemy in a way that maybe they didn't in the past, because for MAGA world, uh, you know, this is an entry card. If you, if you don't believe the election was stolen, they're going to turn on you. But he's not going to get any credit because he's playing been playing this ridiculous game uh, for months and months and months. Everybody knows that he knows the election was not stolen and Joe Biden was the legitimate president. But, you know, he had to bow before the, the, the throne of Trump and MAGA world. So I think his campaign is flailing and I just don't think he's that talented. Um, you know, when, when, if I take a step back and analyze the 2024 election from the Republican perspective, Trump has as I mentioned something like a 40 point national lead even in Iowa which he lost in 2016 and a state that he's not well equipped to win he's got a 15 point lead over DeSantis right right now. Trump at this point is not going to lose. No no politician in American history has had a lead like he's had and lost the nomination. There there are two qualifiers to that. One is of course one that always applies which is health and Trump is 77. And the other one are these indictments and these trials that are coming, coming up. Um, And, uh, you know, is it possible that that somehow this metastasizes and that there's a massive uh, metastasization of of it that that happens among Republicans where they just turn on him and say, this is just too much. He can't he can't win. That's possible. The trouble is that there's no evidence in the polling or very, very little evidence in the polling that that's likely to happen. Because with every indictment, his his uh, uh, approval rating and his gap between him and and the rest of the field has you know, has has increased. That could change if if we saw that complete and utter collapse by Trump. Then someone is going to have to win the nomination, and then it's then it's a, you know it's it's scattered. It's a coin flip. I mean, it could be DeSantis, it could be Tim Scott, it could be a lot of people. Um, but that requires something that's never happened before, which is a collapse of epic proportion. And um, I don't expect that to happen, but it uh, but it but it could. If it does, you know, DeSantis has a chance, but um, but so do a lot of other people.
0: Finally, Pete, um, you mentioned the New York Times. What's the responsibility of the media in all this? You you write for the Times. You write for the Atlantic. They don't disguise their preferences. A lot of criticism of the media back in 2015 and 16 for giving Trump too much attention, basically allowing him to use media as a platform to run. Um, The keynote show now is being one of our sponsors, um is liberties quarterly I know you you like it Leon uh, w- Leon uh, we we my uh, terrible pronunciations new quarterly a very serious and very uh elegant uh, series of essays what I mean we obviously need more liberties but what else do we need I mean my concern is that the Times and the Atlantic and CNN they're all just they seem to me to be increasingly uh platforms for anti-trumpism for better or worse uh and 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 at what point do we need media to step back and 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 restrain itself in in our collective dislike for the man and his ideas
1: yeah i respond in several ways <clears throat> the first thing is i, I mean i think to be fair to those publications, and and I and I write for a couple of them, but just to, let's take the Times. I mean, they have uh, Ross Douthat. They have David Brooks. David Brooks did an essay, I think it was last week, in which he said that the critics of Trump were the bad guys. I mean, you have to read his essay. It's David's a very smart guy, but he talked about um, the, the. I think he used the word. Of a monument to self-importance, what a lot of Trump critics are. He was basically arguing that the elite of this country, uh, including the liberal elite, um, are responsible for a lot of the problems that we have, and that the uh, feelings that that the MAGA world have are very understandable, uh, and and even in some respects, I suppose, I suppose, defensible. David is a hugely influential writer and one of the one of the stars of the New York Times. And then, as I said, you had Ross that You have you have you have others. The Atlantic has 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 some really wonderful conservative writers as as well. What's the, what's the responsibility? I, I mean, it's fine to say that it's they've just become platforms for you know for anti-Trump, um, I, I, um, but then the question is are they responsible criticisms of anti-Trump or of, of, of Trump and Trumpism? Are they making arguments that are rooted uh, in truth, in facts, and in the, and is a defense of liberty and democratic values and American ideals? And if you have a person of Donald, if you believe, as, as I do, and as a lot of people at those institutions do, and as I think the record shows, this man is is a dagger pointed at the heart of America in ways that we haven't seen certainly in our lifetime, and probably since the Civil War in terms of the of, of the South. And you think historically, you know, where are these institutions and where are people as writers and commentators? Where were they at this moment that mattered? If you look back at the history of the Atlantic, you know, it it was started in the 1850s, and it was on the side of, of abolition and on the side of Lincoln, that looks pretty good. I suppose if you were, you know, if you had a podcast in 1858 and you said, well, what's the responsibility of the media uh, in this antebellum America, shouldn't we give, you know, more voice to, to the pro-slavery side? I mean, if you viewed it that way, you could say, yeah, but I do think historically one wants to say what's at stake, what's the truth, who's, said what when and what were they defending and what were they you know what, what were they opposing now I I think that these you know all media whether you're talking about ones you, you name CNN this is this is tricky right one question that media organizations faced during the era of Trump was do you refer to what he said as a lie and a lot of them resisted doing that up until the point where it became impossible not to because they clearly were lies meaning falsehoods that were demonstrably false and things that Trump had to know were, were false. Then there's a question of how much attention do you give to him? Some people felt like CNN and Fox platform Trump, and that helped helped him to become the nominee. Undoubtedly, it did. On the other hand, he was a person who was leading in the race. He's now obviously the, the, the front runner. Can you ignore him? No, you can't. Uh, so then the question is, well, okay, if you're going to cover him, how do you cover him? And 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 then there's the factual side of things Um, and uh, are are the journalistic institutions being self-critical if they make mistakes in reporting? Are they are they identifying their mistakes or their errors? For the most part, I think they are. And I do think that if you you look at the pro-Trump versus, let's say, anti-Trump media, there are more diverse voices in the anti-Trump media than there are in in the pro-Trump. Uh, world, As I said, the New York Times has has people who are conservative and, and certainly liberal. Well, it should be clear
0: with Brooks. I mean, he may have been critical, but he's, he's certainly not pro-Trump.
1: No, 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 he's, he's not. And if you're looking for, for, but what David has done is I think he's tried to write to an audience to explain why an awful lot of Americans are supporting Trump. Uh, And I think he's tried to do it in a way that's relatively generous, maybe sometimes too generous. And, uh, but, but he's tried, he's tried to explain it, but look, I, there's no question that, that, you know, the times and the, and the the Atlantic and the new new uh, and, and and the (coughs) Washington post uh, are anti-Trump and anti-Trumpism. I think that's a virtue. Some people think it's a vice. And if you believe that it's the obligation of media institutions To basically uh, be 50 50 in terms of how it covers anybody, whether you're talking about Donald Trump or Pol Pot uh, or George Wallace (laughs) or 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 uh, or Abraham Lincoln. Um, You know, there's a view which says you've got to give equal uh, time and equal attention to all all points of, of view. The important thing I would say is that these institutions are not being shut down. You've got the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is not pro Trump but they're more anti-democratic and anti-liberal than they are anti, um, anti, um, anti, anti-Trump. But look, for the most part, I think the media has done pretty well. I think it's really, really hard to cover Trump because there's nobody uh, like him, and uh, he's forced a lot of hard questions for the media to sort through. I, I had the feeling, I don't know if you did too, Andrew, that during the early years, or at least early days of the Trump presidency, uh, the media was kind of back on its heels. They just weren't sure how to cover him. And it took some time to try and, and, uh, and figure that out. But I think they're doing a, overall a pretty good job. And, um, and I think that uh, <clears throat> most of what the, the outlets that are anti-Trump are saying um, happens to be true.
0: Yeah, I wonder whether the narrative is about to become even more bizarre or absurd with Trump perhaps even running for office. While in jail. I, I'd be interested, what is your
1: sense? How, how would you cover or, or, or critique Media Institute? What would you have them do that they're not doing?
0: Well, I I, I don't agree with Brooks, but um, I think there is an element of, of shrillness about Trump that it becomes very annoying. Um, I, I, my sense, and maybe this is a subject for another conversation, Pete, is there are twin narratives i think for many of the pro-trump people this is a this is a television show it's always been a television show uh, he was a television star and now he become a social media star so the narrative is just simply treated differently that's to give these people the benefit of the doubt if they're not simply the the grotesque people that you think they are uh, that the issue is ontological um uh, but I don't know. It's it's yeah. very. Just, but, just,
1: just, just Yeah, I do want to clarify one thing because it's important for me. I know a lot of really, really fine people who are Trump supporters. So I. I that's don't, the old
0: line about, well, I knew a lot of fine people who fought on the Confederacy or, you know, well, I don't well, want to compare it to the Nazis. But you often heard that as well.
1: Yeah. And honestly, and I may write an essay on this, Andrew. I mean, I've struggled. I've talked to friends about this. I have struggled with at what point let let me just set a context if you just got a a minute more. Uh, I've uh, throughout my life I felt like one has to separate politics and people's character because honorable people hold different political views. Um, That still is 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 my view as a general matter. Obviously at some point uh, that becomes uh, the calculation can change. Right, which is if people, good neighbors, people who are otherwise honorable in their life, support or are complicit in a malicious and malevolent political movement that's doing great and grave harm, then at some point those people need to be held accountable too, and they do become complicit in that movement. Now, when does that happen? Um, What's the political movement where if you attach your name to it, if you vote for it, if you support it, if you advocate on its behalf, that that begins to reflect in some deep and and, 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 and important way on your character, not completely on your character. You could still be a, a loyal husband or a loyal wife and a good father and a good neighbor and go to the soup kitchen and do a lot of other good things, and those aren't unimportant. But it also matters if... There, this is a, a moment, of, a great moral moment in the life of a country, and if you're on the wrong side uh, of that moment, and if you're on the wrong side of the of the movements that are that are clashing, um, how do you think that through in terms of how that bears on or what it says about a person's in, integrity or character? I haven't figured it out. My disposition, my reflex is, is, is to separate them. And as I said, I know wonderful people who are, who are, who are pro-Trump. Some of them are enthusiastic. Some of them aren't. Um, and I'm, I, I want to be careful about, uh, about imputing their character. Um, cause I don't think that would be fair. On the other hand, I'm just being honest here. I'm, I'm struggling with that question because from my perspective, and it may be wrong for sure, because I'm, I'm in perfect, in 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 how i see things but from my perspective this is not politics as normal this this is a time in which donald trump is the head of a movement and a party that that is doing great and grave damage to very very important things and it's so obvious and it's it's undisguised and to stay with this man and this movement given all that we know really troubles me so i i'm obviously trying to wrestle through that.
0: Well, this great moral moment um, in 2024, Pete, was the last great moral moment then, the Civil War? Well,
1: you know, I mean, there have been a lot of, of, of great moral moments. The Civil War was certainly one of them. Um,
0: well, anything since? I, I mean, was 1968 a great moral moment?
1: You know, I, I mean, there were... There were great moral moments. The civil rights movement was a great was a great moral moment. You know, the America weighing in in World War II was was a great moral moment. I would say that America's stance overall, generally on on the Cold War, uh, was was. So there have been a lot of great moral moments. I'd say what what this moment is that uh, is is probably unique since the Civil War is the fundamental attack on democracy, democratic institutions, uh, and in terms of having a political leader, and in this case, a president, who was dedicated to the destruction of the Union and the the Constitutional Republic. I mean, he showed that through his coup attempt, through the insurrection, through the lies. Um, And that, we didn't have that in 68 or 72. 72, we had a criminal president and he resigned in 74. But uh, Trump is much worse, and the stakes here are are even 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 higher. So, I mean, if you take that as your as your standard as your criteria, I think we're in a moment unlike anything we've faced since uh, since the Civil War. And I'd like to think more Republicans would be on the right side of this uh, of this battle, but um, but a lot of them aren't.